Gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to Capital Sports on Moscow's Capital FM. I am Alan Moore and I will guide you through the next two hours of hardcore sports action. Okay, so this, of course, is the number one radio, English language radio sports show on mainland Europe. Um, and we have for you the best news, views, reviews, previews and interviews in, of course, the world of sports and some pretty excellent tunes to boot. We have tonight, starting off with Russian Premier League, we'll have a little bit later on then the English Premier League. We'll have a bit of a look back on the Champions and Europa League from last week. We'll look ahead to the UEFA 2020 qualifiers, of course, taking place this week. We'll have a little look at rugby and athletics and we'll talk... Dutch football with a real Dutch expert. So that's going to be a lot of fun. Okay, right after Double N's Capital Sports News Roundup, we're going to go out to the Urals to chat with Mr. Andrew Flint and ask if losing one coach is a bit of a tragedy, is losing two coaches carelessness or just pure idiocy? Or maybe Dino just want to keep up with the Joneses or the trend that was set by Spartak last week. So that means will Loco lose Seoman? Will Siska get rid of Goncharenko? It remains to be seen. In part two, we'll talk with Dutch expert James Lowe about the upcoming 2020 qualifiers and if IS can repeat last year's heroics in the UEFA Champions League. In part three, we'll get two and two, adding up to 
not three, but to Steve C. And we'll ask what's right and wrong with the Rugby World Cup this 2019. Of course, it's in Japan. In part four, Alex B. He's going to give us the lowdown on some down low dirty deeds over in the West Coast of America in Oregon. And, of course, we'll talk sports movies as well. Then we're going to cross to lovely, loud in my homeland of Ireland in part five to congratulate athletics correspondent Swift girl Louise Carraher on predicting the downfall of Alberto Salazar even and all it means for UK and UK athletes and athletics. And finally, he is back on Russian soil. The Mac is back with more hot tips to give us. But first, double N with Capital Sports News. Good evening. It goes from bad to worse for Spurs. A midweek 7-2 thrashing by Bayern Munich, dressing room fights and 3-0 loss away to Brighton. Adding goalkeeper Hugo Lloris dislocating his arm and Spurs. Record of no away wins in the PL since January must push manager Mauricio Pochettino close to quitting. Liverpool needed an injury time penalty to see off battling Leicester 2-1 with the neighbours Everton lost again, this time away to Burnley. It was Super Sunday in the English Premier League with Arsenal, Manchester City and Chelsea and Manchester United all in action. There were wins for Arsenal and Chelsea while both Manchester sides lost. Here at home, Dynamo lost 2-0 in Orenburg. Lokomotiv had Arsenal over for the visit. It ended 2-1 for the Railmen. CSK Rostov ended 3-1 to Rostov while Krasnodar managed to beat Spartak 2-1. The big talking points of the weekend were the Ahmad Ufa match and Dynamo firing head coach Hochlov. We'll discuss that shortly with Andrew Flint. Serie A's North-West derby between Genoa and Milan yesterday was rather fiery with four players sent off as Milan came from a goal down to win 2-1. It was Genoa's fourth loss in their last five matches and Milan's first win after three straight losses. The top six were all in action today with the wins for Fiorentina and Atlanta. And kicking off at 9.45 you can listen to us and watch Inter lost UA. A win for visitors will put them top. Both teams are unbeaten with Inter perfect after six games with six wins. La Liga saw surp- surprise package Granada come a cropper yesterday as a lost 4-2 away to Real Madrid. Real are at the top of the table. At 10pm is 4th versus 6th as Barcelona welcomes Sevilla to the Camp Nou. Best league so far this season has to be the Bundesliga where the fancy's clubs seem to be unable to string two wins together. Dortmund, Red Bull Leipzig... Freiburg and Schalke all drew while Bayern lost. Alan, what's your take on it? Yeah, I mean, you know that I love the Bundesliga and I worked, of course, with uh, Eintracht Frankfurt and I just, I love the level of football and the uh, engagement there. And I mean, if you look at the top nine teams, actually, yeah, well, the top ten teams, there's six points between them, so two kicks of a ball between them. You've got Mönchengladbach, they're top on 16 points. A point back, you've got Wolfsburg, then you've got Bayern, in uh, third place and you have to go all the way down to eighth place to see Dortmund because Eintracht would have been ahead of Dortmund except they only drew today but looking at how it's setting itself up for the season wonderful so have a little bit of a look at German football because forget what it's like in Europe in Germany the passion the energy and of course we'll all bring it here with Ronan Murphy our man who's covering all the German football but listen Get tuned into German football. It's well worth it. Back to you, Nas. In rugby's World Cup, Russia went down fighting against Ireland midweek. This weekend, there were wins for Australia, South Africa, New Zealand, England and France, while Japan continued their good run and increased their chances of a first knockout appearance by beating Samoa yesterday. Russia will go looking to upset Andy Mack and Scotland this Wednesday at 10.15am, though the big matches this week are all on Saturday as England look to stay perfect against France on Saturday at 115 
Ireland need to beat Samoa the same day that kicks off at 1.45 p.m. On Sunday, it will be do or die for Scotland as they have to beat Japan to make the next round. That gets underway at 1.45 p.m. In boxing, 37-year-old Gennady Golovkin won back his IBF title from Sergei Derevchenko on a unanimous decision. The Kazakh is now looking for a third win, for the third fight and probably win with Saul Alvarez early in 2020. World number one, Novak Djokovic, beat Australian qualifier John Milman 6-3, 6-2. Playing in his first Japanese competition, the Serbian star didn't lose a single set to claim the trophy. Intense. Back to you, Alan. Okay, thank you very much. Now, uh, one thing I just want to bring up, uh, I know some listeners will be agitated about it, and we'll discuss it actually in part two, or actually part three, with uh, Andrew Flinkers, who will stay with us. Uh, he has a train at midnight, so he will stay with us, hopefully, uh, all going well. Um, because that goal that Liverpool got, did you see that goal, the, the penalty? Um, unfortunately, no. Oh, it was rotten. Mane, basically. He did get a knock, but oh. every single time, Liverpool seemed to win penalties, either by Salah or Sadio Mane, that just seemed to, like in the box I mean they're big strong men yeah. really strong tough men but they keep falling down so I don't know I think they need to instead of football training they need just to be trained to have to stand up straight so there you go that's my take on it and uh, we'll leave it at that because it's probably not very educated right we're going to go out to Yekaterinburg because he was covering the Oral Zenit match today for us Mr Andrew Flint you're hearing us loud and clear I certainly am, but actually I'm not in Yekaterinburg. I'm in Izhevsk covering the Zenit Izhevsk FC Chiren game. <laughs> oh my goodness, I thought you were... Okay, oh, well, that's even better. Listen, uh, your, your boys lost today. Uh, yes, well, I mean, to be honest, it's pretty expected. Um, and I wasn't surprised how early um, Zenit took the lead. I mean, Ivanovic scored after, what, three minutes, I think it was. Um, and it's just, they, they just cannot see what is blatantly clear in front of them that defence is an absolute mess. There's no leadership there, so Zenny just pretty much strolled to it. Well, listen, that sounds quite like uh, Dinamo and Spartak rolled into one because they both lost this weekend. Um, <laughs> now, before we get on to the, the very touchy subject of that absolute horrendous refereeing performance in Ufa and Bashkortostan this weekend, um, Dinamo firing Hochlov, we did kind of mention a few weeks ago that it was going to get difficult for them if they didn't start picking up wins but they, they, they did it, and they did it before the international break. Does that give them time to get somebody in? And, uh, I mean, you know, there's, I mean, they've got a new stadium. They don't have that much money. But, again, taking over Dinamo, who are they going to try and get in? Who do they need in there, Andrew? Well, I, to be honest with you, I think absolutely nobody long-term should come in unless they're absolutely certain. I get the feeling that they are finally waking up to the fact that they can't just bring in somebody who's going to turn it around in the long term. What I what I understand is that they're looking to promote Kirill Novikov, the youth team coach, um, just to stay at least until they are certain they've got somebody right. Who will actually come in, I don't know. I've heard that Kononov, Berdev and Carrera, who are the obvious names bandied about, given their local experience and availability, are actually not on their shortlist, which is slightly surprising. I personally would um, I put Vladimir Fyodorov forward. I think he's done a very good job at Orenburg on limited resources, but um, in the short term, it looks like they're going to try and be sensible, which doesn't sound like Dynamo to me. Yeah, I mean, uh, like they are struggling badly in the table. I mean, they, you know, they're now in in a relegation battle. Uh, they're down in fifteenth place. They have ten points. They're just two ahead of Tambov, um, and they're two behind Akmat. Now, if you look at the games coming up, they're going to have in a couple of weeks. They have um, a derby uh, against Siska. So, I mean, I think they play uh, Krasnodar actually next next time out as well. So, I mean, that's you know. 
they have, oh yeah, the 20th of October, they have um, uh, Krasnodar at home. They've got two mm. terrible matches coming up where they could get a right beaten if they don't have somebody in. Well, this is going to sound really strange. I would, I would actually almost write those fixtures off in terms of bringing in a new manager. I wouldn't. I know it's going to sound odd. I wouldn't waste those fixtures on a brand new manager because he'll almost automatically start on the back foot. If they just use somebody from internal, like uh, Novikov, for example, a youth team coach, somebody who's with the the squad already, then he will go back into the background once a, a full-time appointment comes in. Um, but you never know, they might actually get a bit of a, a new manager bounce and they may even get a result from one of those two games. So I wouldn't appoint someone who probably, um, before those two games, just simply for the long-term benefit. Okay, all right, so you'd, leave it, you'd probably wait till the winter break then and, and sort of um, just sort of see out, like yeah. maybe pick up a few yeah. points along the way. Okay, uh, Spartak, of course, I mean, you know, we, we did mention, like, last week, of course, we, we broke it here that it, it happened. Um, we had the ins- inside info that Carrera was kind of, like, sniffing around the place. But they haven't appointed anybody yet. They have um, a caretaker in there who has been around the place a wee bit, but... Uh, there's nothing on the wires about Spartak. I mean, they are keeping it relatively quiet, aren't they? Well, they they are and they aren't. I mean, there was a lot of noises about Dominico Tedesco um, coming in. Now, he is in Moscow tonight, I understand, and he's looking around the facilities before he makes a decision. There have been a lot of noises about offers being made to him over like two-and-a-half-year contract, which is... It's about a classic length of, well, we, we, we know you've got a reputation from managing a big club in another country, but we're not quite sure yet. Um, and it, I think it's just purely the fact that he has managed as a German club that he's getting them this job offer, if it is as solid as I understand it is, um, in the first place. He's got an awful reputation for really dull defensive football. Um, I spoke to a lot of German... Okay, we just have to, uh, we lost Andre for a moment. We're just trying to get him back right now. Yeah, so, of course, Dominico Tedesco, he, of course, is born in Italy. Um, you know, kind of just you know, played a little bit in one of the lower German leagues, but began to work his way up, say, for example, in, well, uh, Stuttgart. Um, and then he was an assistant there as well. Now, he managed uh, a, a, a relatively quite poor team in the second tier of German football, uh, Au, Au. Um, and, you know, he did okay, uh, but he, he saved the club from relegation. He then, of course, took over Schalke, uh, of course, when they were playing in the Champions League. They got destroyed. They got destroyed uh, against Man City in the round of 16. But, of course, we did see them beating Lokomotiv uh, two times around. The information we got back from Schalke at the time was that he was okay, but he was never a long-term proposition. Um, Andrew just mentioned there that you know he was working at Schalke, so he has a bit of pedigree. But I mean, <clears throat> he, he's been out of work now since March this year. Um, has a so-so reputation with Schalke, who are you know now not doing too bad in the Bundesliga. So I mean, he had something to work with, and I mean Schalke now are sitting sixth in the, in, in the mm-hmm. Bundesliga. But, um, I mean, is that the right person for Spartak? I think absolutely not. From everything I've seen of him, from everything I've heard of him from all the Bundesliga experts, I think it's about the worst appointment possible. Um, it, he's, like you mentioned, his profile because, well, certainly like you mentioned, playing uh, against Lokomotiv last season when Schalke were very poor, but just a little less poor than Lokomotiv um, in Moscow. He 
he basically did really well with Schalke to get them second in the table in his first full season in the Bundesliga, but it was mostly down to a lot of other teams underperforming rather than Schalke being outstanding. And he doesn't have a very wide tactical knowledge is the is the basic picture that I'm getting from him. So I, I think it's a very, very poor signing because it's it's a reasonably big name and they will probably have a big payoff if they have to fire him again. Yeah, well, it looks like he'll probably he'll he'll last for a few months. I think I I have it smacks of something <laughs> that like it's a it's a cut price Unai Emery and even even more and more cut price. Yeah. I mean, this is like not even family. This is even fixed price. I mean, this is like way way lower than that. You know, this is like Renuk. Anyway, <laughs> um, pivoting slightly, Lokomotiv won today. Uh, a good win for them. They're the only Moscow club to pick up a win. Uh, Siska losing today is is just it's quite shocking because I mean you would have expected them to at least put up a bit more of a fight against Rostov at home. As it sits right now, Lokomotiv are top of the table, um, joint first uh, on 26 points with Rostov, Krasnodar and Zenit. Siska dropped back now to second place, on tw- or fifth place, sorry, there on 25 points. Ufa, Ufa, who we're going to speak about in a moment, they have snuck up into sixth place, so they're almost in a European place yet again. <laughs> but there was a, a fair bit of scandal over their 1-0 defeat against Ahmad. Um, some questions about refereeing, I believe. Well, yes, there are certain owners in Russian football that, that we know are prone to voicing their rather strong opinion, shall we say. Um, after the... Over the uh, public uh, address. <laughs> after the Ufa... Hello? Yeah, I said uh, over the public address system. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> well, yes, the uh, Akhmat are famous for that. Um, Ufa's uh, general manager, Shamil Gazazov, who who hired Andrei Konchelskis early in his managerial career. <laughs> Konchelskis, the brilliant anecdote of him coming into the dressing room with a baseball bat threatening to pick the side he wanted. Um, he encouraged the social media team to post a video and demand an explanation for these poor decisions, claiming yeah. they want the head of the Russian refereeing sacked. Um, it's just very, very childish playground banter. But he may have a point. There are some really poor decisions going on at the moment, and um, they're certainly not the only side to think they've fallen foul of it, I think. Yeah, I mean, there were two definite penalty positions that, that should have been given. Listen, Andrew, I know you're going to come back with us in part three, so we're going to let you get a cup of tea to stay nice and warm. We'll be back with you uh, in just a wee while. Brilliant. Okay, so that is Andrew Flint. Of course, he will hang, he'll come back to us and speak a bit of uh, English football in just um, quite a bit, 20 minutes' time. Okay, right. Uh, we're going to go into the break right now. We have Imagine Dragons and it's time, so stay tuned. We have James Rowe coming up to talk about Dutch football and English football. And, of course, the 2020 qualifiers are coming up next week. Back after this. Capital Sports with Alan Moore.
Почувствуй магию одного из лучших фестивалей в мире. С 14 по 21 марта. Tomorrowland Winter. Вальпа. Все смешанные склоны. И музыка. Мартин Гаррикс, Димитрий Бегас и Лайк Майк. Армин Ван Бюрен, Тимми Трампет и другие любимые артисты. Tomorrowland Winter. Вальпа. 18 плюс. Okay, welcome back, folks, to part two. I hope you enjoyed that for Imagine Dragons. I know there was one time um, when, because I, like, I, as you know, I picked the music here. Last week I didn't, and it was a damn good set that it was picked by our boss. Um, especially the last song was like amazing. But um, the, normally I pick the songs. On one show, I picked three Imagine Dragons songs, and my boss was like, are you serious? Three Imagine Dragons? I'm going, yeah, let's just make it for the fun of it. And he's like, okay, why Why not? Like, you know, and we did it and it was actually got a great reception. Um, now, during that um, song and the little break, we were having a look at that Liverpool penalty, uh, Double N. You, you're not convinced. Yeah, um, from what I saw, um, it's, it's not convincing. Like, there was a contact and as I said, but still like, I think it wasn't it wasn't enough for for such kind of penalty. So like um, definitely, I think uh, in my opinion, the, it shouldn't have been the penalty. Yeah, in my sh- opinion. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I I don't know. I just thought it was a uh, it was a bit tough. It was hard on Leicester because they came back from one down to 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 equalise, and then the fact that they were you know robbed at that last moment. I mean, it was a, it was a tough one. So um, we're gonna I, uh, we have James or we just lost James on the phone. Okay, we're going to get, uh, we have uh, James Rowe, coming up to speak about Dutch football in just a moment. Uh, we will try to get him back right now. Because remember, last year, the story in the Champions League wasn't really Liverpool, wasn't Spurs, wasn't anybody really. It was the team that we kind of know and love who played this, like, well, not total football, but just beautiful, fun football, Ajax Amsterdam. Now, right now, they almost didn't, almost didn't. They almost did it at Glasgow Celtic. They almost didn't make it to the Champions League uh, group stages. However, they did. They got into Group H. They are up against some pretty decent teams in Valencia, Chelsea and Lille. Now, they've opened up with two wins. They've beaten Lille 3-0. And, of course, uh, we, 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 we know that, you know, that they, they have this, how would you say, you know, they, they beat Valencia 3-0 as well. And, of course, Chelsea's going to be a different uh, story altogether. They're top of their Group H table. Um, and yet... They lost so many players during the year. So, I mean, it's it's kind of one of those very, very tough things. Like, you know, they're kind of a selling club, like we've discussed before, that our clubs, real clubs are selling clubs. We really don't know what's what's going on. But they are a selling club. No, oh, just before we go any further, because we got a, a message in. A, a, not a great week again for, for uh, Russian clubs in Europe. Now, it wasn't kind of the Black Thursday that we spoke about there a couple of weeks ago when the teams got absolute trash in Skrasandar and Siska, of course. Um... Lokomotiv, they did lose. They lost uh, 2-0 this, this, this past week. But again, not a bad result for them because, I mean, they, they, they were up against it at home against Atletico Madrid. Madrid, of course, threw the first game 2-2 against Juve at home. But they came to Moscow. It was nearly at halftime. And then, in fair is fair. Um, fair is fair. We will, we will try to, how do we say, explain just a simple fact that the, the, the team that's, well, let's put it this way. Lokomotiv went out, they have the national team keeper in goals, and he messes up. Now, he messes up, yes, of course, he, he fluffs his lines, he doesn't get it right, and Lokomotiv lose. 
fine. But, you know, the, the fact that they were holding Atletico nil-nil at half-time and came away with nothing, it's not great for Lokomotiv. OK, they are now third in their, t- in their group. They're still in with the hope of qualifying for the Europa League, and I think that's the best you can hope for right now. I know Max, your bet, he said to us, Alan, no, it's, um, you know, they should really be hoping to qualify for the next round of the Champions League, but, well, it remains to be seen. Now, as I said already, uh, Ajax, Ajax are a, a terrific side, Dutch football is in a very, very good place. We do know a few weeks ago where they, they gave a, the, the, the German team a bit of a, a, bit of a scene to. Um, and right now, right now they're in third place in Group C for the Europe 2020 qualifiers. They are a game behind um, Germany on first, Northern Ireland second, but they are a game behind Northern Ireland. So what is happening with Dutch football, with this renaissance of Dutch football? We're going to ask James Rowe, our Dutch football expert. James, can you hear us? I can hear you. Good evening, fellas. How are you? How are you both? We're doing great, James. Listen, thank you very, very much for joining us. I know we had a bit of call difficulties, but I think uh, nobody knows it. I just kind of like fluffed my way through the lines. Now, listen, starting off right away, James, um, Dutch football is in a pretty decent place. Putting aside the clubs, uh, this week, this uh, on Thursday, uh, the Netherlands, you, you, there's a chance there. They're playing Northern Ireland at home. 21.45 kickoff here, Moscow time. They have a chance to go at least into second place in the table. And if they beat Belarus away next Sunday, this day week at 7 o'clock, they, they, they could be clear in second place in the table, won't they? It is possible. It is possible. But I, I stand by my own personal opinion, guys, that I, I do believe that the key game will be the game in Belfast. For me, that is the key game of, of who goes through and who qualifies for this group automatically. Okay, so you think that everything is hinging on what happens in Belfast? Because, I mean, looking at it, I mean, the, the Dutch team, they have strength everywhere. They have players playing in the top leagues with the top teams week in, week out, and they have, you know, Champions League experience to beat the band. But you, you still reckon that it's going to come down to the 16th of November in yep. Belfast um, against Northern Ireland? Yeah, that's, that's, my, that's my personal opinion. Um, I believe as well uh, that with the squad which has been ratified by Ronald Koeman, uh, there is one glaring omission. Uh, Ralph who is the current striker for Wolfsburg, he scored four goals in the Bundesliga this season and provided two assists. And he was cut from the squad. And he, he can really offer the Netherlands something different. So although the, there's been a lot of progression made, in um, in recent years, in recent uh, in recent months, uh, coming off the back of uh, failure to qualify for Euro 2016 and also the World Cup in 2018, there has there has been great progression made. It's just the the final details now to get them over to over the line to qualify for a major tournament again. Okay, I mean that is an issue that like you know Dutch football has these like uh, peaks and troughs. When they're good, they're very very good, and when they're bad, they're absolutely atrocious. Um, and I mean, looking at the World Cup uh, last year here, of course, in Russia, if 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 a, a, a motivated, decent Holland team had have turned up, they could have actually gone quite deep into the tournament. It's quite possible. It's, it's quite possible, but there were so many disjointed performances off the back of uh, when they were under the tutelage of uh, of Danny Blind, for example, and when Dick Advocat took over and, 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 and the, there was a lot of messy things going on at board level where there didn't appear to be a clear plan. And eventually, uh, Ronald Koeman got the job, better late than never, as they say. <laughs> he was in 
to uh, it was in the running to replace uh, Louis van Gaal off the back of uh, the 2014 World Cup, and uh, Dutch player Bay decided to um, to plant for uh, for Schilling in the first instance. But um, there has been progression made since uh, since his appointment. They've um, been in the likes of France and Germany and reached the Nations League final as well, which nobody really expected. There has been tremendous progress there. But it's now going into the final stages for qualification to qualify for a major tournament yet again. And there is a good nucleus of players there in terms of a spine. And it's about um, having a bit of guile now to get themselves as a whole squad over the line in order to represent and hopefully be competitive at an international tournament again. Are there any players you think? Okay, we mentioned you mentioned who like you know who who isn't included in the squad. But are there any players who you think that you know we should have a little bit of a look out for that you know um, might light up the Euros should they qualify? Uh, I would say Denzel Dumfries, the current right back of PSV. He's made tremendous progress in uh, in recent years. He started out at uh, Sparta Rotterdam when they were promoted back to the Eredivisie a few years ago. And then subsequently moved to Heerlen Fein and then continued to improve and is now right back at uh, PSV Eindhoven. He's uh, physically very strong. He's very much a, um, got a lot of pace and is very tactically aware. I'm actually fortunate to interview uh, professional players and managers on a regular basis. And I spoke to one of his former teammates when they were at Sparta Rotterdam together. And he was telling me that he was very much, of a, late, very much a late bloomer where people were aware, even in the youth academies, that he was going to be a very good player. It was just about how motivated he was and could he really perform to the best of his ability. So I wanted to mention him. I think people are aware of the likes of Matthias de Ligt and also um, Frenkie de Jong and how much progression they've made. So that's why I wanted to select Denzel Dumfries in this sequence. Okay, I mean, he, you know, he, as I said, he's playing with PSV. He's only 23 years of age. Um, it does it like when you look at sort of the uh, legacy players. I mean, there are well two real stand out for me legacy players: uh, Daley Blint, who's back at Ajax, and and we saw last season that he he is a bit of a, a bit of quality, and Patrick Clivert's son Justin, who's you know, I mean, I still remember Patrick Clivert as only a young fella, and now his son is 20 years of age and he's playing with Roma. Um, from the two of them, do you think that uh, Daly, son of Danny, and Justin, son of Patrick, can they match their fathers or actually go one better? Can they be better players than their dads? Uh, well, I, I think times are different, to be honest. I think if you look at the character of um, their, their fathers, for example, and the times that they played in, Justin Clever has also actually, uh, he will not be in the squad for the, uh, for the two coming games against them. Um, Northern Ireland and, and, and Belarus, but he definitely does have potential. I mean, I watched him on a regular basis here when he was at Ajax before he moved to AS Roma, and he would take great games at the scruff of an, by the scruff of the neck, and provide his pace would provide a great outlet. I remember being at one particular game where uh, they were losing one nil to Hurricane, uh, and they, he managed to uh, take the game by the scruff of the neck score a hat-trick and uh, ended up winning the game 5-1. So there's definite potential there. But obviously going into a new footballing climate in Syria, which I think is very much improving uh, year on year and becoming more difficult, he will no doubt improve as a player. Yep. Okay, okay. We just might have lost uh, James just for a moment. We'll get him back in just a moment. Uh, Nazar is working on it. Uh, James, can you hear us? 
Yeah, yeah, can you hear me? Yeah, loud and clear. Listen, James, okay, that, that is a good point. I mean, with Serie A, it's, it's a tough old competition, and especially for strikers. I mean, if you can score goals in Serie A, you can score them anywhere. Um, looking at a couple of other players that would be familiar to listeners here in Russia, um, of course, Quincy Promise, who, who, who really stood out uh, uh, for Spartak here, he's now uh, back at Ajax. Um, do you think, like, like moving back to Ajax, Ajax, I mean, that, that's kind of, it is a strange enough move for him, isn't it? Because, I mean, he was looking to go to, you know, Manchester United and so on and so forth. He went to Sevilla, played quite a few times, scored just a couple of goals, but now he's, he's hitting the back of the net for Ajax. But do you think that it's, you know, it's kind of like all down for him now? Uh, not necessarily. He was born and raised in Amsterdam, so he's fully aware of the size of a club such as Ajax, the tremendous progression they've made, especially in Europe in recent years with a, with a Europa League final and a Champions League final. So I think the law to come back from uh, come back to the Netherlands, uh, he also played here in the past for Go Ahead Eagles, uh, I think the law to come back to the Netherlands and play for the biggest club in the country really, uh, really was a pull for him. But I must say to the Russian listeners as well, he speaks very highly about his time at Spartak Moscow. He speaks extremely highly about what he learnt there and how much he enjoyed his football and how much Spartak Moscow are a great club with, with tremendous fans. And I just wanted to let, let the Russian listeners uh, who may be for Spartak, I just wanted to let them know that even in, in subsequent interviews since his move from Spartak, he's always been very complimentary about the club. Yeah, I mean, I know he, I, like, even when there was, like, all the different racist sort of, like, especially the build-up and the kind of building-up of hatred towards Russia before the 2018 World Cup, he was one of the people who said, I haven't encountered racism. You know, like, when there was a stupid, of just a, 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 just the most dumb of dumb tweets put out about chocolate smelting in the sun, he was like, I don't see what, you know, he, it was like this kind of, like, dressing room banter that shouldn't have left the dressing room, but it was these guys who were best friends and hung out together, and he was one of the people who stood up for it, and actually was he won a lot of respect. Um, uh, another player, of course, uh, Tony Villena, uh, he is here with um, FC uh, Krasnodar. He's a, a Feyenoord product, of course. He's, he's, you know, he's, he's a very good quality player, a good midfielder. Um, do you think that him playing here should be a step for him to a, a, a higher level? Because, I mean, Krasnodar are a decent team. They're up there fighting for the Russian league. They won again today, beat uh, Spartak of all teams. Um, but he's 24 years of age. So do you think he's going to kind of try to go the, the promise route as well? Possibly, yeah. But I think he'll want to, I think he'll want to perform in, in Russia first. I think it was a deliberate choice for him to go to Russia. Before he left Feyenoord, there were rumblings that he, he may sign for uh, Sampdoria in Italy. <clears throat> Due to personal problems here in the Netherlands and, and a personal situation, he decided to stay. But you see what Krosnodar did in the Champions League qualifiers, dispatching of FC Porto, that it is a club with potential. And I think he's looked at it carefully and thought, there's a club where I can play regularly. In a, in a league which, is, uh, which has quality with the likes of Spartak Moscow, Seska Moscow, St. Petersburg and also Krasnodar themselves. So I think it's a challenge for him and I'm one that he's very much looking forward to. Okay, and of course, because he played under Ronald Koeman um, before in Feyenoord, so I mean, he's, he, he has experience as that coach. Listen, um, before we go away, uh, James, because uh, we're just running out of time, um, Ajax Amsterdam, do you reckon, can they repeat the Champions League's heroics? Because last year, they were the team for me that just personified everything that was beautiful about football. They just went out. Okay, they might have been naive at points, but they played a lovely brand of football. Well, it's possible. 
Uh, if I can give the Russian listeners a, an example of what was said to the manager Eric Den Haag after the um, after the win in Valencia in the Mestalla for, uh, 3-0 in the last Champions League match last week. Uh, this week just gone, uh, Ten Hag said to the Dutch media that um, this is a big step for the squad and for the team. Not not many teams will come to the Mestalla and win in this way. And he was asked subsequently by Dutch media um, how far can this team go? And I think that they're so uh, they're proud of their of their achievements last season and I mean, almost reaching a Champions League final. And they want to go one better. But I think with the quality involved, especially in the latter stages, it's going to be a big ask. But I think as the games as the games go on, I think there'll be more and more belief, and I believe they'll give it their best shot, and it could very well be possible. That's brilliant. Listen, James, look, we're, we're going to, we have to go away. Uh, I'm, I'm really enjoying speaking with you, and I know our listeners are loving listening to you as well. Um, I know you've got a whole, on the World Football Index, you have like a whole series of interviews with top managers. Um, we're going to tweet that out. We're going to message that out as well, because, I mean, I've been listening to it. I've been enjoying your work, and it, it's top class. We're going to get you on again very, very soon, hopefully in the next couple of weeks, because we want to check in and see, just see... Have uh, the Netherlands gone for two for two in the next couple of uh, Euro 2020 qualifiers? James, thank you so much for your time and have a great evening. Yeah, you're more than welcome. Thank you very much for having me on. And uh, we got Okay, so he wished regards to all the Russian listeners, and we did. So that was, again, the great James Rowe, who is a Dutch football expert living in Holland, covering Dutch football, speaks fluent Dutch, of course, and knows everything about Dutch football. Okay, we're going to go with the break right now with a bit of Avid C and Levels. So come back after the break because we have some very, very interesting takes on the Russian World Cup. Back after this. Capital Sports with Alan Moore. Yeah. Get a feeling that I never, 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 never had before. 
Начинай свой день с Capital FM и Тиной Майлд, где бы ты ни был. Даже в душе. Каждое утро с 8 до 11 на 105 и 3 FM. Okay, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is part three. I should say boys and girls as well. This is part three of Capital Sports here on Moscow's Capital FM. I hope you enjoyed the chat with James Rowe. Very enlightening, very informative. Something that I think that, you know, listeners here in, in, in Russia, well, around the world, we need this because it's a great voice of someone who knows the intricacies of the local football scene, like our own Andrew Flint as well, of course. Now, we're going to go away to Tamworth in the Midlands of uh, England because one of our correspondents, one of our, 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 our people has been following the Rugby World Cup, and not just, but especially the Rugby World Cup, and sort of analysing it for us. So he's come up with what's good and what's bad. So a two plus two equals not three, but it's Stevie C. So we're going to go straight away to England to Steve C. Steve, can you hear us? Yeah, hi, Alan. Good evening. Okay. So the line is so, so, but we're, we, we hear you loud and clear. Listen, Steve, um... Rugby World Cup, taking place in Japan, we know. Uh, usually the pool stages are a whole load of dross and drubbings. Terrible to watch. Atmosphere is dead. Everyone's waiting for the big teams to start smashing into each other. But you see a couple of good things about the World Cup so far. Yeah, I think Japan as a country has taken to it. Uh, unlike other sporting events we could mention at the moment, the grounds have been full. The atmosphere been great in the grounds. But I think the World Cup becoming right. They went in 2016, set up an initiative, and went to schools, got kids playing the game before the World Cup started. Therefore, you're creating a there was a base already, but you're getting a younger generation through who can appreciate the game. And that, I mean, the word legacy is banded about, and they don't always come off as we see with London 2012, for instance. But they've got kids involved, and they've got school kids give them tickets, got them to matches, got them actually playing the game, which for me can only be good for the future of the game in Japan. Yeah, that is very, very true, Steve, because it's something that, you know, Japan is a, is a nation that we saw in the last World Cup down in Brighton, that they were able to beat the South Africans, and already did, well, okay, you'll come on to that now in a second, I'll leave it over you know to you, Steve. Mean? Yeah, I mean, um, obviously I've got to mention the Irish game. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and they, uh, sorry about that, but Japan turned up, Ireland didn't, and it was a big game of rugby, you know, Ireland I presume just thought we turn up, we win, but Japan, you know, played the game to the best of their ability and won, and I think that comes, the less, the, my other point, on the, on the good point, is the lesser nations have improved, and while at the moment, yeah, obvious with financial and competitive game time against quality opposition, they're not going to be quite at the elite level of the the bigger teams, the skills have improved, and yes, there's been hammerings, but the overall gameplay has been much improved. I think. I yeah. Mean, you look. At, I mean, Namibia even took the lead against New Zealand. Exactly. They I didn't last. Yeah. Okay. They, they, you know, they they got into them. But I mean, I saw Uruguay as well. Uruguay beaten. Um, it was with uh, not Fiji, wasn't it? Uruguay beat Fiji, wasn't that yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, and again, they so, played so, it. So, so they've improved. 
Yeah, and, and, and these are like, Sorry. like with Namibia, Steve, I mean, same with Uruguay, they're pretty much amateur clubs, so they're, or players, so they're, they're doing their best. I mean, last week we discussed yeah. this, like, how can you put out amateur players against professionals? It's like getting a child to, to walk into a door repeatedly. So it's like, it's not, you know, yeah. it, it doesn't make sense really, but it works. Okay, now. They've, they've turned up and they've, they've done the best, and, you know, their skills have improved, and that's. That's the way to grow the game. Exactly. Skills. Yes. You know, okay. Financially help them, but. But I mean that 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 that's the next step. Okay, so that's the two good things. But what about two not so good things? One of the disappointing things for me has been the question of the new tackle laws by some, some quarters. Some commentators, some of the ex players going down there. All the games gone soft. Boot. But the, the new rules are there to protect players. And I think I watched the uh, opening ceremony show and Johnny Wilkinson, uh, Sam Warburton and Brian O'Driscoll were on. And they gave a great breakdown of it and explained it in simple terms. And it's there for the protection of the players. And I, I can't understand why some commentators have questioned every referee's decision. And these ex-players are going, oh, you know, wouldn't have done that in my day. But it's there to protect the players. And then again, that's that's what that's that's what we're talking about because, as you were saying, it's a whole different, um, not just different ball game, but a whole different beast playing the game right now. Oh, that, it's, it's a, the breed of player now is far beyond we've seen in the past. And this leads us into this leads us into to to point two is that there's lots of questions to be not just asked, but well, actually, questions asked and answered about how these guys are so big as they are. Well, I mean, you look at the size, the speed, the endurance, the power of the modern player. Is that natural? I have my doubts, I must admit. I mean, we've seen you know, the uh, South African guy the other day. Now, that was, um, you know, he got done three types of steroids, was it, I believe? Yeah, I mean, I mean, it, it's it's the questions just aren't being asked, and we're asking what. Like, I mean, it's it's hard to get them. So, oh, we have just lost Steve on the line right now. Um, but okay, it's okay. We we got the point. I was like, so two good things: great atmosphere in the stadiums, uh, great atmosphere in the stadiums, uh, great kind of legacy development projects. Uh, also added into that, then that there is a bit more of an evening out between the, uh, the, the 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 nations, which of course is only to be a good thing because there were times in the past where. You know, an Ivory Coast player was actually killed with just the fact that he, you know, he was an amateur player playing as professionals. He 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 got badly, badly injured and well killed. Um, this is something I think we we have to to look at as well. That like this, like to grow rugby, to grow any sport whatsoever. We've seen it with um, football here in Russia. There was a huge bounce, a massive bounce. I mean, my own little man Tim, like he just fell in love with with. Um, he he fell in love with football um, after the after the. the 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 soccer World Cup. Okay, so we're back on the line. Um, so after you, you can hear us again. Yeah, yes, I can. Yeah. Okay, listen, Dave, we're just going to we're just going to go just one final thing um, for our listeners here. So, uh, like a lot of, like Russian rugby listeners or uh, our fans, we've kind of maybe a bit disheartened over the the, the results. But you think that, that 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 they should just at least continue building and hope for the future? Has there been enough shown by the Russian team that they they can improve? Well, I think so. I mean. Georgia.
Okay, we have lost uh, Steve again. Okay, so we just, I think just our, our phone lines tonight, maybe going all the way to um, Birmingham, or just, or to, to the Midlands of England, are not really, you know, top class. But that was, again, as I said, building for the future, getting kids involved, getting them uh, integrated is, is always a good thing. And also, a, another point that, that he made as well, this, the tackles, because some massive hits, these are huge men, these are like 110 kilos smashing into 110 kilos. When I, the last game I played, um, the guy who was my opposite number, so I'm, well, I was a bit like 60 something kilos, the guy who was my opposite number was substantially heavier than me, he's about 85, 90 kilos, pure muscle, and just like, Knocked me out cold with just a, like a hit from behind. So I mean, it was it was it was very very different. And we're going to try and get Andrew Flint on the phone right now. So hopefully we'll, he'll he'll come back and speak with English football before we go away. Uh, Andrew, you're on the line with us. Andrew? I sure am. Yes. Good. Listen, there's a bit of a delay in the line. Listen, okay, all the way in is Jesk. I know we've been a while for us. So. Um, not a great day for the Manchester clubs today. Uh, two games, two losses. Which one are you more surprised by, United or City? Well, definitely City. I, I expect utter drudgery from Manchester United at the moment. Um, Manchester United's team selection didn't really help Solskjaer. He, he picked um, way out of form Andreas Pereira, Fred, Ashley Young, Diogo Dalot's barely played this season. Kind of expected that. But, but City, to, to lose at home to Wolves, um, was, was a real shock. I mean, they dominated games like they usually do. 76% possession, nine corners to one, 18 shots, but only two shots on target. And Wolves score twice. I mean, I mean, that just doesn't seem to make sense, but it does. Um, <laughs> okay, so we're looking, we're looking now at the top of the table. So, um, do you think, like, you know, like we were speaking last week, of course, about Oli Gunnar Should he stay on? You still want to back him despite two draws and a loss in the last three games. I, I've got to stick with it now. Um, it's getting harder and harder to stick with him, I admit. Um, and he's looking further and further out of his depth. I think the most worrying thing in recent weeks was his comments after the AZ Alkmaar game, where he said, this is a good result. We really, we really played well, and it was just terrible football. It was awful. But it is a long-term thing, and I've got to stick with that. I do think it's the right thing to stick with him for the longer term, at least the whole season. But he's got to prove himself by the end of his season. Okay, all right. So you, you're you're gonna you're gonna leave it at that. So okay, I I, I won't push on it. Um, looking at Spurs, <laughs> Spurs are <clears throat> in a very bad place right now. As we know from some inside sources, there is uh, let's just say dressing room disorder between someone, between some of the players. There's a lot of nasty stuff going on and personal issues. Um, losing to Bayern Munich so badly. Okay, they lost. They lost. It happens. But losing to Brighton, especially a 19 year old. Uh, guy from Ireland starting for the first time for the first team uh, Aaron Connolly scoring mm. Boko I mean that's just it's, it's basically Spurs are almost hitting rock bottom no wins two draws and eight losses since January away from home in the Premier League that's just awful it, it is appalling and um they, you know, Pochettino after the game trying to put a lot of the emphasis on Hugo Lloris's injury in the third minute. Um, it was a typical Spurs that even that, which it does look like quite a serious injury to be fair, but even that came about from an utterly awful catastrophic mistake from Lloris again. So even when he is genuinely injured, it's, it's only come about because of poor technique bundling himself back in towards the goal. Um, it, it's hard. 
want to know how to get out of it because everybody knows Pochettino wants a bigger job. We know he wants Real Madrid um, and he's he's deserves it, I'd say. And I think the sooner he gets out, the better for him. And to be honest, for Spurs, start afresh and see what they can get out of this. Okay, no, that 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 is fair enough. Okay, uh, Liverpool. Um, I'm not sure if you saw that penalty uh, call yesterday in ninety fourth minute. Oh or dear minute. lord. Um, yeah, that's what Nazar said as well. Well, he didn't say dear Lord, he said something else. Actually, we can't broadcast on air. But, I mean, that was never... Uh, like, I mean, uh, it was a penalty, but he was looking for it. I mean, it's... It, he he was looking for a penalty. First thing I would say, I've got to try and be fair, at least to some degree. A lot of other players do do this. A lot of teams do do this. But the contact was made on one foot. It was the other foot which he goes down on about a step or two later. Um, and I've been scouring the, the rule books for this. And it does say if there is contact, then it is within the boundaries of, of a penalty. But he has clearly, clearly engineered that. Now, he's not the only one to do it. Harry Kane did it. Um, other people do it all the time. But it was just horrific. And the thing that, thing that frustrates me the most this is surely the one of the few indisputable things that VAR is supposed to rule out and it hasn't done that but uh, what but, can we do hey? but exactly Andrew but they're like, they're like in saying that I mean we're looking at some of the, the decisions midweek you know uh, in Europe and we're looking at some of the games in, in Russia as well I mean the la- last week's game uh, Loco and uh, Zenit I mean VAR is playing an issue but if you look at the VAR signal of that there was contact so it was a penalty it was a penalty in any case, but he did dive, but there was a definite penalty shout for that one. Yeah, I mean, okay, I, I probably am getting a little carried away with my bias against Liverpool. I mean, the the rules are, I think it's the problem is, it's the rules themselves. They are far too sensitive almost. Any contact can be a penalty. Well, I know in my books it really shouldn't be. It shouldn't be that difficult to see if a, if we've got a replay to see if the player has engineered it. If they have, not penalty. That's what I think it should be. But it is sort of a rule, so the referee can't be blamed I suppose, but it, something's not right if that is a penalty as far as I'm concerned. That's fair enough. Listen, Andrew, listen, we'll let you go away and uh, kiss that up for your train. Thank you for coming back on. Thank you for that take as well and uh, we'll talk with you next week. Brilliant. Can't wait, guys. Thanks so much. Okay, that was Andrew Flint, of course, our man out in Siberia, but he's in. Ordmortia, he's in his yesk right now. Right, we're going to go out to the break right now. We have we have Sean Mendes, and there's nothing holding me back. So we better say a big hello to Bahar because we helped her get her uh, her song right because she asked earlier on what the song was. We answered her, and there you go. Our good deed done for the day. So now you're going to go out and enjoy this because there's nothing holding us back from going out and have a cup of tea during the break. Doesn't hold you back from continuing to listen to the number one English language radio sports show in mainland Europe. Back after this. Capital Sports with Alan Moore. I want to follow where she goes I think about her and she knows it I want to let her take control Cause every time that she gets close, yeah she pulls me in enough to keep me guessing mm-hmm. And maybe I should stop and start confessing Confessing, yeah Oh, I've been 
shaking. I love it when you go crazy. You take all my inhibitions. Baby, there's nothing holding me back. You take me places that tear up my reputation. Manipulate my decisions. Baby, there's nothing holding me back. 